Hi, I'm John. And I'm Cecilia. Welcome to Crazy Cat Paranormal Speaks. Hey, Crazy Cats. We have some extra special folks on the show today. Some might even say that they are the up-and-coming paranormal dynamic duo. Uh, guys, why don't you introduce yourselves to our listeners so they know who we're talking to. My name is Satori Hawes. Um, I am daughter of Jason Hawes, who founded TAPS, the Atlantic Paranormal Society, in 1990. Um, I am also a curator of the Paranormal Couples Haunted Museum of Objects, Oddities, and Curiosities. And now I'll take it to Cody. All right, well, I've been investigating for about 10 years now. I, I got into it like most investigators and experienced when I was about 8 years old in the house I grew up in. The, everybody that lived in that house seemed to have some story. I, I think we lost him. Was, oh, no. So I can hear you guys. You hear me? Uh, you broke up through your whole, your whole story there. Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> can you hear me now? Yes. It seems like it. Oh, good. I guess just start over. Okay. Oh, beautiful. All right. So. Uh, oh, no. That is interesting. Somebody doesn't want Cody telling his story. Yeah. I All know. Right. You know what? I'm really going to get out of the museum. That's, that's the problem, I think. Hold on. Oh. I'm going to get out of the museum and go to another room. <laughs> that might be. <laughs> All right. Hold on. Bear with me. One second. <laughs> Probably the least amount of activity we've had recently, actually. It's it's a good day today. So while we're waiting for for Cody to find his place, I have a question (laughs) for you, Satori. Um, Oh. So career day in elementary school, where mom and dad Mm -hmm. come in and mom's the lawyer or, or, you know, dad's a account manager or whatever. How... (laughs) How'd it go over when dad comes in and is like, hey, I hunt ghosts? I knew exactly where you were going with this when I heard career day. So thankfully, my school, you know, being in such a small community, we didn't have that many career days, but we did have career fairs where certain people in the community would come in. And, um, you know, everybody would talk about, it was just a normal thing, like, oh, what does your mom and your dad do? And and um, I would always hear my friends say, firefighter or EMT or accountant. And I thought this was amazing. That's great. And me being young and not knowing that the paranormal wasn't exactly like, um, what's the word? It, it was just starting to be pushed into the media and into the world. Um, me I'll just recognize. saying, oh, my dad. Yes, exactly. My dad, uh, I would go, my dad's a ghost hunter. And um, I, I could only tell you to imagine in your head the faces that I would get when I said that sentence, because they looked at me like I had seven heads. (laughs) When the show really started to take off and I got a little older and I kind of knew I wanted to do it too, um, my teachers would be always really intrigued and ask me because it wasn't, they felt like they could now talk about it. And students in school would walk up to me and be like, oh, you're the the daughter of the ghost guy, right? Or "You're, you're the ghost girl. That was my nickname in high school. And, um, it was, it was strange starting off, but I think as I got older, everybody started to kind of just understand it. It would be like, oh, yeah, she's the ghost girl. And it was just almost normal. And, and kids would come over and tell me their stories. And I think it really actually helped a lot of people in my community come to terms more with the paranormal and feel like they could talk to somebody about it. Um, it did definitely make me weird clicks of friends, that's for sure. <laughs> that was going to be my <laughs> next question. <laughs> Yes. Um, 
a theme that I would always intrigue all different cliques of people. Um, but the ones that were more drawn to me were the kids that already were interested in the paranormal or just kind of strange. And they would be called the outcasted children. That's what they, that's what the other cliques would call them. And they would just find their way to me and be like, I'm really interested in this. So I think, you know, it was a good thing that my dad was involved in something that was kind of a touchy topic at the time because it really opened up a lot of people. See, you're in a unique position, right? Because our kids growing up, uh, especially our youngest, who's right around your age, Mm -hmm. it wasn't a big deal. Yeah. Because Ghost Hunters had already been on and all the renditions of Ghost Hunters and Ghost Hunters International, TAPS and all that, was already very well known. So it was kind of norm. It wasn't a big deal for her to have this interest or have her parents have this interest. For you, mm-hmm. because your family was on the forefront of that wave that started the whole thing, mm. to make it a pop a pop culture thing, Yeah, you were kind of, you know, a weird spot because, hey, this is something that my family does and they do it very well and I'm kind of proud of this. Versus, you know, I, I got this picture of the old school marm with the glasses and the stern face wagging a finger at you kind of thing. Yes. So, yep. it's a very unique position for you to have been in, which is why I wanted to ask you. I mean, yeah. did the cool kids trip you in the lunchroom uh, or stick you in a locker and say, ha, ghost girl, there you go? Uh, well, they were probably more afraid that somehow I would give them a ghost to haunt them. What, like they probably were, were more afraid of them. that. They, were, they yeah. didn't understand what this was. I like this girl. <laughs> yeah, they instantly thought that I had spirits at my disposal like a ghostbuster, and I had to open up the chamber and release one on them. I think that's what a lot of them thought. And it was it was really funny, but, you know. You know, I heard there was a lot of trouble uh, back some time ago in like Salem, Massachusetts area. Hmm. Uh, I don't recall. I was making a funny about witches. Oh, no. <laughs> oh my gosh. I thought you were talking about me. I apologize. See, this is the train wreck because you actually glitched when you said that. And I heard, I heard a little bit of, and then you said Salem. So I didn't know what you had said. <laughs> oh, okay. That, that's okay. It's just John. I get it now. Trust me. I, it was a breakup moment. I, I, I want you guys to look long and hard at your future. <laughs> so do we have Cody back? Has, has Cody returned to the fold? I think I'm here. <gasps> Hello. We think you're here. But we yeah, thought but that for before, too. So, so, Mr. Cody, let's, let's do a take three. <laughs> All right. Number three is the charm. There you go. Beautiful. All right. So I got started... When I was about eight years old, I had an experience, like most investigators that get into this, at least a good 80% of them or so have an experience. And uh, the house we grew up in, in Massachusetts, was was really active. Everybody in the house experienced something. And I had an experience that really frightened me. But, you know, it definitely opened up the door to, uh, you know, going to the library and taking out different books on the subject and everything else and, and just learning everything I could about it. Uh, and then I think that's when, you know, I started, um, glancing my way over into the technical side of things because I was always somebody that, that liked to take things apart and figure out how they work and know why the machine is beeping and, and, uh, the, the needles jumping back and forth. Uh, so I just think that even though that experience, you know, scared the heck out of me, 
um, it definitely was the thing that, that, that got me interested. And then just living in this area uh, was the perfect spot if you wanted to get into this. Because I, you know, I like to say it's like the creepy attic of the United States, <laughs> and you know, it's the you have to some of the oldest places in the area here, mm-hmm. yep. and um, and you know, the the biggest paranormal show was was based, you know, one state over from me at the time. So it was just amazing to learn that you know people were doing this and going into people's homes, and uh, that's really all I wanted to do. So from day one, that's that's what you had your sights set on. Yeah, I did. I did. And and thankfully, my, my family was very understanding. I mean, I grew up in a, in a Catholic family, um, but a Catholic family that was very into Halloween. And uh, so, you know, everybody believed in ghosts, especially my mom. And, uh, you know, when I turned about 16 or 17 years old, I wanted to, uh, you know, join a local team. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of teams that were taking on 16-year-olds, understandably. Uh, so, you know, I, my mom was like, all right, well, I'll, I'll join with you if, if, if that's what they need. So my oh, first team, awesome. my mom, my mom joined with me and then, uh, you know, that team ended up disbanding probably about four years later. Uh, and then I, you know, I got sick and then after that, um, I ended up joining TAPS and I've been with them for probably about six going on seven years now. So 16 is considered young to start actually going exactly. out and doing investigations. What do you remember about your first investigation? So um, what, what I really wanted to do, I wasn't so, at 16, I wasn't so concerned about, you know, uh, going into a client's home and investigating because I know it's a really sensitive situation and mm-hmm. I was made well aware of that, um, you know, when I joined that team. I was just somebody who really wanted to get a hands-on experience uh, of the equipment without spending thousands of dollars um, at that time on, on all of the stuff that people were using. And, uh, thankfully the team I joined, uh, you know, had all the stuff and, you know, that's what I really, really was interested in. Uh, but my first investigation, uh, was, it was a client investigation and, uh, it ended up going really good. I remember just like staying back and observing the entire process and, and just seeing how everything works. And I think anybody getting into this, uh, that that should be the way to go is just kind of like, you know, stay back out of the way from everybody and let the people that have been doing it for a while do what they do and just, you know, soak it all in and, and see what they're doing and just t- trying to take their lead um, when it's your chance to do so. So looking back now, okay, 10 years later, and everything that you know now and all the experience that you have now, would you have done anything differently on that first investigation? Yeah, I'd probably write a lot more down. Um, I think a pen and paper is something that's very underestimated right now, um, you know, on investigations. And I think a lot of people look over that. The simple thing, just, you know, syncing all of, you know, your digital voice recorders up to the correct date and time, uh, something that people, you know, they, they, as soon as they get to the investigation, they want to hurry up, put the batteries in and, and skip all of that stuff just so they can start recording. And, uh, you know, just making sure that everything is synced up is such an important thing because oh, yeah. when something happens, yes. uh, it makes it so much easier to, to, you know, correlate between equipment and people and investigators. Uh, so just trying to document as much as, as much as possible. And, um, and, uh, I guess just, you know, when I first started, like I mentioned, I'm, I was very into the tech and now I still am into technology but I only like technology that uh, has an internal logging system. 
so the, the equipment does the work on its own. I don't really have to pay attention to it. And uh, using your senses more. Uh, I think that's another thing that people look over a lot is paying attention to your senses because uh, I see so many people that, you know, are just paying attention to the equipment and an apparition or something could be appearing in front of them and they're too busy looking down at their EMF meter and they miss it. So I think uh, just being, you know, very well aware of your surroundings at all times and uh, trusting your gut and uh, trusting what your body's telling you, what's going around, because uh, I don't think that's ever going to steer you wrong. Here's a question for both of you. You are very into the tech. I know that. And I've I've heard you speak about the science behind things and whatnot. Um, But Satori, I get the impression that not that you're not as knowledgeable, but that you rely more on your senses, your emotions and things like that. So is yeah. this what makes you guys work as a team so well, do you think? Because there's that balance. Yeah, I mean, I think so 100%. To be completely honest with you, I know you said, oh, you may not be as knowledge- knowledgeable. And um, I will be completely blunt when I say I could barely work a, a handheld recorder. So <laughs> I... <laughs> I'm not the techie person. I mostly hand him the tech and he does it for me and sets it all up. I like to go in and, you know, use a social, emotional approach and kind of feel things out, feel feel out how the clients are reacting to the situation, how they are mentally. I took some psychology courses in uh, college for that purpose. Um, I, you know, I just like the hands-on feel it, feel it for myself kind of situation. And when Cody usually says that, I think it's his way of saying I like to talk a lot and I like <laughs> to get all into people's business. It is kind of true. I think that's what makes us good. We're two halves that make a whole of something. But you, you want to know something? The tech is fantastic. It's wonderful. I love tech. I am a, a tech nerd. Uh, but that personal side, the ability to sit down and talk to the client to, and, and just go through all the things that they're going through, uh, they're going to open up and they're going to tell you things they may not even realize. So I, that's super, super important too. Mm-hmm. I mean, probably more so, I would think, than even the tech to, to clue in on what's going on in the environment around you. Um, so walk me and through... Cody, she called you out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Tori, walk me through... If you go on a site for the first time, do you do like a walkthrough? Do you do, I mean, what do you do when you get there? So the first thing, um, I guess for me, for my approach is when I get into a client's house, the first thing I do is I I stand there for a minute. I kind of ground myself. I like to feel how the energy, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. I, I stand there and I try to see if the energy feels, you know, maybe really heavy, more light and flowy. Um, I'll, a lot of that time when I stand there, I'll kind of get an understanding of how the investigation is going to be. If it feels heavy, there's probably going to be more aggressive activity. If I'm not really feeling anything, it's probably going to be dead, at least for me, for the entire night. Um, then I like to go to the um, the clients themselves, kind of just start some small talks and ask them if they don't feel like they're crazy. Um, once I do that, they really start to open up to me about things we may not have even had on the case file. Um, and that gives me a better understanding, like if they lost loved ones and, and et cetera. And um, I think from there, I I kind of just walk around the house. I tour the house. I, I try to feel out every room. Um, if it makes sense, I feel I, I always keep my hands open because I feel like I can feel energy better in my hands. Um, 
that's that's pretty much for me. Cody goes around and does all the base readings. He he's really the techie person. He'll break out all the equipment. He'll he'll um, get an idea of where the energy is more in in a house if it's you know there's heavy energy more in the basement or on the main floor, so we know where to kind of gravitate towards. It, th- these guys are adorable because you guys really are us, only younger and with <laughs> much, energy. Much, much younger, much, younger and much energy. more energy. <laughs> <laughs> John, John and I have a similar setup where he is he is more the oh. technical side of things. He likes to play with, the, he's got a, a tri-field. He likes to play with the tri-field mm-hmm. and get base readings, and he does all the camera stuff. And I will do exactly what you do, Satori. I will walk around. My hands are open also, uh, just trying to get a feel for what's going mm-hmm. on and where we might want to concentrate more of our efforts and things like that. So we're, we're just going to get a, a picture of us and send it to you so that you know what your future looks like. <laughs> 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 so you probably asked this a thousand times. What is the scariest experience that you've had? Ooh. Well, so for do me, you go first? I, I, I yeah, I, I, I think for me. Uh, so you know, we've we've been to hundreds of places. I know myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been doing a little longer than than Satori, a couple years longer than her, and um, and you know, all over the United States hundreds of investigations and I can count on one hand the times that, um, that I've run into something. I wouldn't, I, I don't want to say demonic or I, I don't, I don't know what you would want to call it. Something that, that wasn't nice. Maybe just evil. Yeah. Yeah. Something that wasn't nice. And, um, and I would say one of those times absolutely, um, you know, definitely freaked me out. Uh, and, you know, brought you to a whole different reality of, of the way things are and the way things work here on this, on this realm. And that, that, you know, that stuff does exist to a point. Um, and it just kind of opened your eyes to, you know, you hear all of these, you know, paranormal survivor stories of, of these really bad cases. Uh, and you know, it was nothing that severe, uh, but you know, just, just enough to, uh, give you a taste of, of what's out there. Uh, something like that definitely uh, opened your eyes and, and kind of leaves that in the back of your head to be a little more cautious on the way you approach uh, your questioning and things like that. So I'm trying to think of how to phrase this question I have for you. Uh, you bring up the word demonic. And I'm going to be honest, in, in all my years and all of John's years and whatnot and the things that we've experienced, I don't think I've ever experienced anything I would classify as demonic. No, I haven't. You know, yeah. we, we've gotten pranksters yeah. and we've gotten aggressive, yeah. you know, aggressive reactions and things like that, but not anything that we ever called demonic. Do you think that that is a buzzword that people just throw around to try and get attention or they don't understand what they're experiencing or is it, is it just something that is, you know, part of pop culture? Yeah, you know, absolutely. I, I 100% agree with you. Uh, I definitely don't believe that we've come across. Uh, I'm not speaking for Satori, but uh, from what we've, or from what my opinion is, I don't think we've come across anything demonic either. Uh, I definitely think that people retain their same attitude that they have when they're living, when they pass on. And of course, you're going to meet people that that are jerks sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. and and you get that type of attitude. Uh, but I would say that, uh, you know, the, the, the term, you know, demons and demonic and evil and everything else is definitely uh, Hollywood and, and some of the other TV shows have definitely had a big play in influencing that type of, of, um, 
of you know response to paranormal activity that when somebody experienced something, uh, they misjudge what's happening. And um, like we had a case recently where you know things always were getting pushed off the counter, glasses were breaking, and things like that. And automatically you jump to something bad. You know the clients thought they had a demon inside their house, and uh, and come to find out, you know it's probably just you know somebody that lived there that's just trying to get their attention because yeah. they've been trying mm-hmm. to reach out and uh, being ignored ignored the whole time. Right. So I definitely think um, you know it depends what what religion you are, of course. Uh, because, you know, uh, depending on what religion you are, that's, that's the term you're going to use for this type of stuff, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, so, um, you know, personally, I don't think I've come across that at all, you know? So, so Tori, how about you? What's your scariest experience? So, <laughs> well, it kind of varies. There, there was one house, we, we titled a 1600s house, and um, it, was, it was very old, and the people had called us in, and they kind of told us after we got there a lot of the negative stuff that was happening that we didn't um, know beforehand. So, for instance, like, we were walking around and getting a feel of the house, and we all knew it was a heavy feeling, and then the owner was saying stuff along the lines of, oh, by the way, be careful, because the construction workers get things thrown at them, and really crazy things like that. Um, so, while we were there... Um, I had said something along the lines of, uh, you can't, you can't keep doing this. You can't keep hurting people or, or causing havoc around the house. Um, it belongs to the owners and they want you to be here. They just want you to be nice. There has to be ground rules. And as I'm saying that stuff, the chair behind me, I wasn't leaning up against at the time. It had moved, um, completely backwards. And the thing was, it didn't move one side at a time. Like if somebody was shoving it, it moved completely backwards um, perfectly. And um, that was a bit startling for me. I had to take a break. Mm-hmm. Um, besides that, I think one of the, scare- the most frightening experiences had actually just happened. And it's with an object in our museum. Mm-hmm. Um, we have termed her death angel because it is claimed by the family that she had been on top of three Christmas trees that I caught fire and actually tried burning down the house. Oh. So, um, upon we, we quarantine our objects to see if they act out before we incorporate them into the museum. She had done nothing. So we had put her in a safety case just in case, because we don't want her to prove her claim and light <laughs> right. down the entire museum. Um, we had gone downstairs and actually, it's on a live stream on our Facebook. Mm-hmm. We Right before we started the live stream, we saw soot all over her dress. And it looked like there was a fire under her. And she's made of, she's a vintage tree topper, so she, she's made of cardboard. And we freaked out. We saw soot in the case. We saw there was a fire. There was no damage. The fire alarm never went off. The cameras didn't pick anything up. Um, and there was a soot handprint on the wall behind her case that looks like some child-like handprint dragged across the wall. Um, we had to do tests on it. We had uh, done a bleach test to test if it was actually soot, and it stayed black, which means that it is soot and not mold, um, which is a bit frightening for us because it, this item proved its claim without causing a fire, so it makes us wonder what else. Yeah. Um, yeah. So since then, we have kind of kept her away from everything else, put her in her case, and, um, you know, just asked her, please don't cause any more problems. Don't try to harm any of us or the museum. And it seems that it wasn't harmful. It was just a little um, frightening when you first see the soot everywhere and you think there's a fire. But I think that's the most frightening experience we've had. I, I, I will tell you what, if if I had a doll that mysteriously 
had soot on it in its case, mm-hmm. and there was a soot handprint next to it, I'd be a little unsettled myself. <laughs> yes, it's a bit unsettling. <laughs> yes, I can actually, um, afterwards, we can send you photos we had taken yes, at the, uh, that night we had found it. It's just completely insane. The hand is smaller than mine, and I have almost childlike sized hands. So it's, it's a little crazy that this happened. It seems a, almost a little playful, like, hey, you want to see activity? I'll show you activity kind of situation. Um, but nothing else has happened since, thankfully. Well, you, you recognized what it can do now, and it seems like you are being very respectful of the doll itself, right? Yes. Um, you still yep. have the handprint, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep, we kept everything the way it was. We didn't even want to clean her off in case she wanted to be like that. So we didn't even bother cleaning her off. So since you brought it up, let's talk about the museum. <laughs> <laughs> so explain to the listeners what a traveling haunted museum is. All right, Cody, you take that one. Well, uh, so <laughs> I figured you were going to say that. That's why I started. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> um, so the entire museum kind of started by accident because, um, you know, we were the only ones on, on the tap scene that was willing to start taking this stuff home when we came across it. You know what I mean? And uh, so everything in the museum, uh, I would say uh, probably about 80% of it uh, has been taken from uh, a client, either uh, through one of our investigations or uh, that just randomly shows up in the mail. I mean, boxes show up pretty much every week with, with something in it. Dolls are the big thing right now because of the current Hollywood situation. Uh, but, you know, the, the whole museum just started building up besides the client, um, you know, objects. Uh, there's objects that we've obtained through certain channels uh, that, uh, you know, these objects from maybe uh, like true crime memorabilia is a, is a good term for it, uh, from famous uh, locations like that, objects that are claimed to hold energy. And um, so this whole, this whole museum is going to be going on the road to different uh, locations that, you know, are claimed to be haunted and uh, set up for a few days. Um, very immersive experience. If you've ever been to um, something like the Titanic traveling exhibit, uh, so very immersive when when you're putting, you know, you're getting put in scenes, uh, so you kind of feel like you're you're there. Uh, we have stuff from around the world, so tribal area, you'll feel like you're going into a ceremony or something like that, and um, and basically just traveling across the country and allowing people to come in and view this stuff and read the backstories and and uh, watch clips uh, that we've captured from our surveillance in the museum and uh, learn about each object. And at the same time, it's all, almost like a big case study uh, where if you start to feel something, you know, there's, there's uh, places where you can jot that down throughout the museum. And over time, uh, collectively, uh, you know, we're hopeful that we'll see a pattern uh, with each of the objects that, yeah. you know, maybe somebody always feels happy when they're in front of an object right. or sad or, or something like that, uh, where, you know, we can actually have it in black and white. I, I've got I've to interrupt you for just half a second because I want to go back to something you said at the very beginning of this little piece. You said, sure. You said, and Jason and Steve and Dave and Sherry, I hope you're listening because I'm giving you all the eyeball here. You said that. You guys were the only ones who would take it home, so they gave them to you to take home. So you're telling me 
that the grown-up said, here, let the kids have, let, let the sweet, innocent kids have the deranged demonic dolls, and we're going to go about our day. <laughs> well, I, I will say that, that some of the other people have, have taken some things home, uh, but uh, it seems like stuff just started, gra- uh, you know, gradually gravitating towards us. Uh, Satori and myself, uh, so when, when the show was, was filming, uh, Satori and myself would stay back and do uh, a lot of the cases that weren't uh, televised. Like every weekend, we were out doing a, a case, uh, and then you know when we would get called to do a televised case, of course we'd go out and do it. Uh, but there was a lot of cases where you know that just wasn't an option, right. and uh, and and you know we were the I guess the the, the chosen ones to to take the stuff home. Uh, and then you know once once the first few started happening, it just kind of became a thing. Uh, but but I will say it's it's rare that yeah, we have a case that that has an object. Uh, most of the stuff um, has just been sent to us now. I mean, we just get it every single week, and every object that we have, uh, including the ones taken from cases, uh, you know, anybody that's donated it can always have it back. I mean, we'll send it back to them if they ever need it. Uh, but till this day, nobody has um, has taken their object back, which is interesting. Yes, and to address the uh, Jason, Steve, and Dave thing, um, it seems that, you know, my dad has a couple of objects, and, and everybody's kind of acquired objects over the time, but it does seem that since, you know, I told my father, me and Cody went to my father and said, hey, we, we have this museum, and we're going to take it traveling. He knew about it for a while. Um, it seems that he's kind of been like, all right, you do you, you take it on. If some, it's something you're passionate about, if we have something, we'll let you know if we have it and you need to put it in the museum. Um, it's almost like he's let us take it, take over this section of the paranormal, mm. like this, this profession that branches off where we collect. Okay. Then I won't yell at them. They're, they're trying to be supportive. <laughs> they're not trying to sit back and say, ha ha, look what happened to the kids. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I will tell you, parents will do that. Parents will say, here, you have it. Let's see what happens. Right. Oh, I believe it. What's the first object you guys got? So the first the first object that, that we've ever acquired uh, was something that was passed down in my family. It, it, it originated from Italy, and it's a, um, it's a painting of, of Christ uh, that um, the story behind it is my great-grandfather on my mother's side uh, was sick. And, you know, this has always been hanging up. Uh, throughout the generations of my family in, in the bedroom. And, um, and you know, when my great-grandfather was, was on his deathbed, he claimed that uh, the painting started talking to him and, and telling him that everything was going to be okay and, you know, he had nothing to worry about. And uh, it put him at peace. And, you know, that, that was the first time it happened. It ended up happening again uh, when my grandfather was, was getting ready to pass. And, you know, it, was just, it just kind of became this phenomenon. And, you know, uh, once it was my turn to own it, um, you know, now it's, now it's down in the museum and, in, in, you know, the safer side of things in our office side. Uh, but that would, that would probably be the first object that, that just kind of like started it all unofficially. The safer side? <laughs> the safer side, yes. The, the, the less active <laughs> yeah, side, I would say. <laughs> yeah, Cody doesn't elaborate on that. We do have sections for different things more. Um, we have items, occult items, items that are supposedly cursed, used in rituals. Um, we have a section where that kind of stays away from the things that have more of a light 
and um, flowy energy about it, something where there's claimed to be children. We separate from that section. Um, we kind of like to give everybody their own section. To It's almost like we're trying to make every spirit feel comfortable in their setting. What do you do about protections? You know, how do you keep them contained? Because you're talking about some items that could potentially be disastrous for you guys, like your little burning angel. Yes. What do you do to, to keep them separated from each other? to keep them from roaming free, causing, causing havoc? So what we found is everything seems to be based on your intention. So <laughs> if you walk into a place, we say, uh, if somebody says they're having a hard time trying to get activity to stop or they don't want an entity to be there, we always tell them, you know, ground yourself, um, set a safe space, imagine a wall going up around you, uh, lay down your ground rules, say you can't be here because this is my house. And if you truly believe in what you're doing, we believe that that is the power, not necessarily a specific religion or practice. Um, so we, a lot of people ask us this question and they follow up saying, what religion are you? And what we like to say is everything in a sense, because we believe that every religion almost plays into the same belief system of a good, a bad, a place you go after life, you know. So we believe that everything works if you believe it does. So, for instance, Cody was brought up Catholic. Um, I like to follow more of the uh, spiritualist, uh, herbal, uh, nature-based religions. So I will like to believe in crystals and sage and, and, um, you know, cards around the room. Stuff like that makes me feel comfortable. I lay down my ground rules. Cody, um, he's open to everything, but, you know, since his family was brought up Catholic, he does have holy water and prayer cards and crosses, too. So I guess what we would use for protection is a little bit of everything because we are so open to what could be the answer out there um, that we want to incorporate every everything to make everyone feel comfortable. And the thing is, we have objects from all around the world that didn't believe in Catholicism, that didn't believe in right. you know, these religions. So who's to say that if we were to put a cross up near a tribal mass, that he's going to care or yeah. understand what we are doing? Yeah. So we, we like to do a little bit of everything and to say, hey, we respect you, you respect us, we will take care of you, but you have to, in return, be careful and make sure you respect everything here. And they do. It's like they listen, like they're just people, too. You mentioned you mentioned intent. John is rolling his eyes at me. What? About three segments ago, I wanted to ask a question. <laughs> <laughs> well, then ask your question, dude. You I keep putting you my lose. hand up. You keep asking away. Am I looking right. at you? No, I'm not. He's putting his hand up. <laughs> I'm raising my hand in class, and I'm being ignored by the teacher. <laughs> As it should be, dude. <laughs> As it should be. Take, take notes, Satori, because this is how it's supposed to work. Uh, this editing is going to be fun. <laughs> so, uh, I'll leave it all in. <laughs> <laughs> right, probably will. So what I wanted to ask is on the layout of the museum. So physically, what is the museum? Is it an RV? Is it a, a Bluebird bus? Is that, that's it on my list. something you take? I haven't read your list. Is it something <laughs> you, you take with you and then set it up in different physical locations and then tear it down and take it on the road again? How does that work? Yeah, exactly. So it's it's so currently right now the the museum's base is an off building, right? Everything is set up in there, but once it goes on the road, it is something that is is travels around in a big uh a large truck and is is set up and taken down uh at each location. 
location. It can be set up inside a location or outside in a big tent. Ah, okay. And uh, like a lot of movable, like almost like set walls and uh, and things like that. That uh, that like I mentioned, just kind of immerse you into into the environment. Right. And uh, it's just kind of it's probably take you about an hour and a half to to tour the whole thing, and you'll get a tour from either Satori or myself, and then you're kind of you know left on your own to uh to you know tour the rest of them and then if you want later on you can stay and investigate with the objects at at whatever location we're at but it's it's something that's that's uh, taken down packed up and uh and put back up depending on what location we're at great i like how long do you usually stay at a location uh well it, it depends uh Usually we try to at least do two days, but we will do more depending on the availability of the location as well as the location and the population around the location. But usually about two days just because of how much time it takes. It usually takes about, we estimate like a day to set it up. So um, so it would be kind of pointless just to have it for one day and then and then you know have to take it all down again. So usually about two days at, at minimum. Okay, if somebody had a haunted location or somebody was doing an event where they would want to have your museum there, what would they need to do to contact you? Uh, well, sure. Yeah, so if you go to paranormalcouple.com or theparanormalcouple.com, either place, either domain name will lead you to the same website. Uh, just, just click on the contact tab and uh, there's many links that will lead you there. And uh, send us an email and... Um, and we'll work something out. So uh, we are planning to to travel uh, to cover as much of the United States as possible. Uh, but it's just you know um, coming up with the, with the plan. Like if somebody in in Texas wants us to come out there, uh, they may have to wait a while till we get a few locations between you know Massachusetts and Texas. You know what I mean? Uh, so we don't have to you know drive back and forth to each state. So it's just kind of kind of do like a big tour. And, you know, if you do have a location that, that you're interested in, in having the museum, uh, we also do uh, smaller events where we just bring one or two exhibits from the museum for places that, that you know, you might only have one day of availability. We can just bring some of the museum. Just contact us through the website or social media. We're on many different social media platforms. Facebook uh, is, a, is a big one right now. So the Paranormal Couples Haunted Museum on Facebook uh, but no matter what social media platform or the website, every private messenger is open. It might may take us a day or two to get back to you. We try to answer everybody, but uh, but if you message us, we definitely uh, will get back to you at some point. Yeah, and, and all those links for the website and the Facebook page and all that will be in our show notes. Perfect. So that folks will have will have them. They'll be able to just click on them and it'll take them right to those pages. Now, you mentioned that if it's a small event, you might only bring one or two exhibits. If it's a larger event, you're going to pack up every, pretty much everything and bring it. How do you decide which exhibits to bring? Well, I guess it depends on, on the area. So Tori can answer this as well. Um, like we have a whole entire like um, cryptid exhibit with a lot of uh, Bigfoot artifacts and Yeti artifacts from around the world. And, um, you know, the Northwest and, and that area is really big on, on, on that mm-hmm. type of thing. So that might be something that, that we, that we would bring out West. Uh, and, you know, we kind of talk to the people that run the locations and kind of get an idea of, um, of, you know, what their local legends and lore is and, you know, what lo- what's happening at the location itself. We'll try to bring some objects from that state, uh, to kind of make it feel, uh, a little more at home, if, if that makes sense. 
so it's kind of all up to the location of the event, uh, the, the person who owns the location, and what we think might might fit. And we always try to rotate everything out. So if you come and visit, you know, more than once, you can uh, see something different every time you come. Yeah, exactly. So what are some of the <laughs> weirder things that have happened? All right, Tori, this is you. Yeah. But yeah. I, I know about the angel, right? I, I actually saw that video on your Facebook page. And folks, go see that video. It's something else. Uh, the, the, <laughs> that, that thing is creepy as hell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she'd like to hear that. What are some other weird things that have happened with the occupants of your museum? So we like to, we actually almost have a, um, we like to almost say a list and it's, we call the top five and then we have a top 10. So the top 10 is, you know, the most active objects or just objects that have proven their claims more than others. Um, we also have a top five, which is the, the most active objects we have in the museum, objects that move almost every day, or there, there's not a dull day with these objects. <laughs> so, for instance, um, Death Angel would be in the top five, because now that she has, she has ex- showed her um, experience, it would be one thing if she just moved a little bit. But it's another thing when she covers herself with soot and there's a handprint that looks like somebody decided to finger paint after a fire on the walls. So we we had put her on the top five because that was just the most, we've never seen anything like that wait, before wait, wait. in our entire lives. She, she's in the top five, but she's not the top? Oh, no. She, hmm. So, no, I wouldn't say oh, she's wow. the top five. <laughs> like, she's the top. So we also have another... Uh, we have two dolls. One of them is Jolene, and another one is Liza. And actually, we weren't, we didn't really give them these names. <laughs> um, so Liza, we would say, is the top because she is a Victorian-era doll. To sum up the story quickly, had called us absolutely hysterical after a podcast that Cody had done and said, the first thing that came out of his mouth was, you need to get this doll away from me. She's speaking to me in my head and telling me to harm myself and other oh. people. Oh. So that's a, that's a red flag when we hear that. Um, we, we calmed him down a little bit because he was just hysterical. And um, after we had calmed him down, he had explained that there was a doll named Liza, and she speaks to him. Um, after we had you know, talked to him, we asked why... We don't encourage this, but we had to ask, why didn't you just get rid of this doll? Um, he explained to us he did, but it keeps coming back. He had thrown it away, and the garbage man had taken it out of the garbage for some reason and sat it back on the porch. Um, so after we had asked him, you know, we thought maybe there was some mental, um, you know, situation going on. Um, but, you know, to ease his mind, we had met him up in a public setting to take this doll off of him. This doll has been the most active item we have ever collected. She moves just like a normal person, almost as if it's not just an attachment, it's an object possession where she uses this object as a physical conduit to interact. You'll see her adjust herself like a living person in the middle of the night. We actually have that on film, like on video. Um, we'll hear voices, just straight out responses from that section. There was one time where she had done something we had walked downstairs, and this did a little make me a little upset. We had a wall of dolls right near her, but we had to sit her separately because she goes back to, if we moved her from the sh- shelf she sits on, she goes back somehow. We had brought walked downstairs, 
And all of the dolls on the doll wall facing her had their heads 180 degrees facing the opposite direction away from her. So we had fixed them all, thought maybe it was just a fluke, um, gone upstairs, came back down. They were all crooked again um, in every direction away from her to the point where we had to um, move the dolls to a different area of the museum away from her. She's, we don't think she's a negative entity, just not a nice person, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So she'll, she'll do things purposely, and it seems that she likes to feed on trying to be as creepy as possible. So we give her the, the number one spot because I think she's worked so hard. She's deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> she's there with you now, isn't she? Isn't she? Um, yeah, I have to be nice. I have to be nice. <laughs> so what about Jolene? You mentioned Jolene. Jolene. Oh, yes. yeah. So, Jolene. Um, Jolene. Yeah. Cody, do you, you want to go into the story? story? No, you can do it. You're, you're no, good you at it. Tell it. <laughs> okay. Oh, geez. Okay. All right. So, so we had gotten. Oh, oh my gosh. Are we te- Who's the telling the story? <laughs> you're telling the story. No, you're telling it. I'm done. Satori, <laughs> oh, Satori do you need the pillow? Do you need the pillow for him, Satori? <laughs> yeah. It might smell like chloroform. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> Okay, Cody. All right, so I guess I'm doing it. Tag, you're it. <laughs> so Jolene came, Jolene came from a children's daycare facility in Connecticut. And what happened was they, uh, a staff member had uh, brought this. It's probably about a four-foot, you know, kind of like a Raggedy Ann stuffed doll, but, but, but not a Raggedy Ann doll. It's, it's, it, uh, it's a big, basically a big stuffed clown that's about four foot tall. What? And, um, and she, she was brought in by a staff member uh, and placed on uh, a metal chair inside of the playroom of this daycare facility. And uh, the children started going over to her, and they would hold her hand or tug on her foot. And uh, the staff member started noticing that they would have conversations with her. And uh, everything was fine until the kids started running over to, to the staff members crying, saying that Jolene was calling them names and calling them ugly and, and that, you know, they were mean and just really making them upset. Uh, but the staff members just, you know, thought it was imagination, uh, even though there was probably about five or six kids that were all reacting at the same time, which is very odd. Uh, but one day, so the owner of this, this facility was the person that opened up in the morning and locked up in the evening. And one, one morning she walks in, and Jolene is about 10 feet away from her chair, sitting on the floor around a few toys, which, you know, totally freaked out the owner of this, this building. But at first, you know, you know, your mind tries to rationalize these, these things, and she thought that maybe she missed it the night before, and another staff member was, was playing a trick on her or something. Right. And, uh, you know, when everybody got there, they were just as freaked out as she was. And uh, it ended up happening, happening again the following week, uh, and they just kind of put her back on the chair and, uh, and gave us a call. And, uh, you know, when, when, when we arrived, we love to, when we can, meet, meet people in person because mm-hmm. uh, we get a much better sense of the emotion and we're able to read them, and, and it's much better than just reading an email and, and trying to understand the story that way. And uh, when we arrived there... Uh, they just, they wouldn't even go in the building. They just kind of pointed us in the right direction and what room she was in. And, uh, and we went in and she's been with us since. Satori can definitely tell you at least one of the stories that that's happened since she's been in our possession. But as soon as she was here, she just started acting up right away. Did you just tag me back? Is that what you just did? That's what it sounded (laughs) like. Yeah, I heard. (laughs) All right. Yeah, that was smooth, wasn't it? Yeah, it was pretty smooth. (laughs) Yes. 
So Jolene is very active. What makes her so different um, with her activity is that she is huge. She is a four foot, at, you know, a very large doll. Um, almost, she's the a size of a good sized child. She interacts like one. So we had given her a chair that she sits on in the museum. And the first experience we had ever had was we took her off that chair and we, we told her ahead of time, Jolene, we're going to have to take you off this chair and sit you over here just so we can use the chair to move something else in the museum. It couldn't have been more than five minutes. We turn around. We didn't hear anything. Um, but she is across the room from where we had sat or sitting in one of our uh, swivel chairs that we do our live streams in. And she was sitting there with her legs crossed and her hands on her knees like she was a little upset with us, you know, like an upset parent. So we had just sat there and stared at each other for a minute, me and Cody, and we went, did that really just happen? And he went, yup. And so he ran to the cameras because he was excited that we would have caught her on at least two of the, the motion cameras that were in that area. And um, somehow in all four foot tall of her you know, size, she managed to not be seen by any of the cameras and Ooh. just appear across the room, almost like she had teleported across the yeah. room into the chair. Um, we have no idea how she did that. Ever since then, we kind of laughed it off and told her, good job. So once we told her, good job, it kind of went crazy from there. I think she enjoyed that. Um, <laughs> she'll be sitting in her chair. We'll come downstairs. She's upside down with her legs up in the air like a child hanging off a couch. Um, she'll be sitting sideways. I don't know how she does the poses she does half the time. We come downstairs and we're like, that is the funniest thing I have ever seen in my entire life because <laughs> she'll sit in the weirdest ways. And ever since then, she just won't stop. She, she will find her across the room in another section, just hanging out with the objects. You'll see her hands up on things like she was trying to touch things. It's, it's honestly really funny and lighthearted when she does it. So we've given her one of the top five just because we really couldn't stop her if we wanted to. She <laughs> no. somehow just does whatever she wants. She's a free-spirited, literally free-spirited individual. I've got to say... You, you've got dolls that move around on their own. Yes. You've got a doll that catches fire whenever it wants. <laughs> yeah. uh, I heard something once about a creepy mask that you all have. It's it's in your house with you. Mm-hmm. This is start. You, you tear it down and put it back together to take it around places quite a bit. This is starting to sound like the opening chapters of a horror novel. That is what this is. The poor unsuspecting couple. <laughs> After this interview, I'm thinking about taking up writing. <laughs> right? You guys should write the book. We would love to hear it. The, the sweet, poor, unsuspecting couple. Yeah. <laughs> Little did they know. Somebody's got to do this job, guys. It's like an episode of Dirty Jobs where we have our own per- profession that we have to do in order to keep everybody safe. So it's something we've definitely given our lives to, and it's never boring. So if you want to write a novel, we could totally sit here and tell you stories. Uh, I'm a little concerned about the trailer showing up somewhere, and Jolene is driving. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. I I have I know I know sitting upside down in the in the cockpit. (laughs) (laughs) I have one last question for you guys. I have one last question for you guys. Okay. You two are adorable. You're absolutely adorable. So was it love at first sight? Did it work its way up? Did Dad approve? All right. It was three questions. Yeah, that was not one question. (laughs) We probably have two separate answers. Is it fitting to say that the way we had met is literally through the paranormal? Because I had joined the team professionally, and 
this guy over here, he decided to text me because I had just only started joining the team professionally. And he sends me a message and goes, oh, you need a ride to this place? I'm passing through your area anyway. Let me pick you Smooth. up. No, oh, yeah. he didn't have to do that. He knows he didn't have to do that. He probably wasn't he even really anyway. passing through that way to begin with. I don't think he was. No, I drove an hour <laughs> in the wrong direction, to be honest with you. <laughs> Yeah, he went in the wrong direction to pick me up. But since no, then... No, he went in the right direction to pick you, you up. There you go. There you go. But we started noticing weird things happening when we were together in the, you know, investigating just, just really strange activity um, that we've lightly discussed with people, and it's actually on our page. And, um, you know, when it comes to the father approval thing, yes. I think he was a little taken back that I was with somebody that was on the paranormal team because he he would I think he just wasn't prepared for me to literally get this involved into the video. Yeah. But um, he loves Cody. He's known Cody before Cody knew me, so he absolutely adores Cody. Aw, they're so cute together. Yeah, they are. They're really <laughs> cute together. I love this. I love your story. Uh, it, it's a shame it's gonna it's gonna be you know end with the dolls taking over and <laughs> and then you become a crotchety old couple like us and, and then you grow old like us but uh... <laughs> oh. way to stay positive guys <laughs> no 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 actually we we I, I do I love your story I I love the idea of this museum I hope someday you come to Austin or the Austin area. Because I'd love to see some of the exhibits that you have, uh, things like that have always fascinated me. You can you can ask ask John. It's like, hey, hey, John, look what I found. He's like, get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> Do we really want that in our house? I guess we're gonna have to write that on our calendar. So if you ever come to Austin, um, I guarantee you we will be there. Beautiful. That sounds wonderful. Well, Austin is definitely the happening place right now. It is the number one housing market in the whole country. I just read. Well, we're not trying to sell them a house. No, I'm not. I'm not trying to sell anyone a house here. They're too expensive. But, um, yeah, I mean, just everything's going on here. Everyone's focus is on Austin. So might be somewhere you want to set your sights on. All right. I'm throwing out this plea. So folks I know that own haunted residences in the area, uh, thinking around up near Dallas and down near San Antonio, you really want to have this exhibit because I really want to go see it. Right? (laughs) And... As, as much as as much as I want to go home, which I, I grew up in New York, and my family, I actually have a lot of family in Rhode Island, so uh, as much as I want to go home and see my family, I'm not sure that's going to happen anytime soon, <laughs> so <laughs> we need to bring them here. So my friends that own haunted places, invite them. Go to their webpage, invite them, do it for me. I consider it a personal favor. <laughs> I love this advertising. We're going to have to come there now. Okay, good. We're writing that down. They're coming to Austin. <laughs> yep, we just have to get it filled in on the calendar and we'll be all set. We're down. <laughs> we'll grab Jolene and be on our way. And you guys have a schedule of where you're going to be up on your webpage, correct? Uh, yes, most of the places are going to be released uh, probably uh, within probably a week or two. Uh, there's new stuff added every single week. Um, but yeah, I know there's some stuff like in the Oklahoma area that uh, oh. that's being worked out right now. Oh. Um, Oklahoma's so, doable. So I know that's close to you. Yeah. Well, re- yeah, relatively so. speaking, they say the they say that the longest part of any trip when you're a Texan is 
getting out of Texas. So we live right in the middle of the state. We live in central Texas. So it doesn't matter what direction we turn. Uh, It's a long ways (laughs) to get to the state line. (laughs) But yeah, Oklahoma's doable. Oklahoma's doable. Oh, good. Worst case scenario, we're just going to have to go visit my cousins in Rhode Island. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would be terrible. Beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) That would be awful. It would be an awful thing to do. Thank you, guys. I I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I'd love to have you guys on again. You were just, you guys are just so incredible and wonderful to talk to. Oh, it's been a pleasure. It's, it's just been a real joy. Thank you so uh, much. Well, of course, you. just shoot us a message whenever you want us to come back on. We'd be happy to. You, you got that in Absolutely. We get, we, we're writing that down. I just, I just wrote it down. <laughs> just write it down, okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much. You have a wonderful afternoon, and I'll let thank you know. You. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, if you like what you hear, and how could you not? We are freaking adorable. Check us out as Crazy Cat Paranormal on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. The links will be in the show notes.